Our text today is from 1 Samuel 25. I will read through verse 22. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calabite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your, in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword and every every one of them strapped on his sword David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at him, at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by day, night, and by day. And all the while, we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this, and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master, and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste, and took two hundred loaves, and two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five seahs of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young man, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. 
the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you to hear your word today, to be encouraged by it, to be convicted by it, to be built up by your word. Open our hearts and minds. Let us take this word today into our week. Let it transform us into the image of your son. Give wisdom and discernment to Andrew as he brings us this text today. And watch over us as we go throughout this week. In your name, amen. Good morning. At least for another 48 minutes. We'll see if we last that long, right? We are on the uh, third of our little uh, mini-series of the wilderness. You remember we've been tracking 1 Samuel, and we've been lately looking at the the life of David. David was anointed back in chapter 13. Uh, He was declared to be the next king of Israel, uh, the king in which he was a man after God's own heart, the, the man in which David or God would build his house forevermore. We get some hints of that in this passage a little bit later on. Uh, but after some successes with Goliath and so forth, uh, David's been on the run. He's been hard-pressed by Saul, and we observed two weeks ago that the wilderness is, is where Christians often find themselves, just like our Savior was, was baptized, he was declared to be the Son of God, and then he was driven into the wilderness to, to face temptation. Uh, so we too, uh, as the Lord's anointed, uh, we find ourselves in the wilderness, and we face all sorts of ups and downs there. Last week, we, we looked at the second of the wilderness installments, and, and we saw David at one of his high points. I would maybe contend that along with Goliath and, and that story, we, we see David at his best in chapters 24 and 26, these sort of uh, companion stories where David spares Saul's life, uh, David restrains uh, himself, he, he trusts the Lord, he He trusts that the Lord is going to take vengeance or going to execute justice, and and he spares Saul's life, even though the counsel that he was getting was, here he is, he's in your hand, Uh, go ahead and and kill him. Um, This week, we see David at his worst. Uh, It's interesting that chapter 25 is, is bounded by 24 and 26, uh, these, these two really good high moments in terms of David's character. Right in the middle of it, we recognize that folly is actually bound up in the heart of man. We recognize that even at our best, God's servants uh, are imperfect. You know, this is one of the reasons why we called the series Longing for a King. You know, on the one hand, we're, we're talking about Israel and their longing for a king that first manifests itself in Saul, Saul, the, the people's choice for a king. Uh, then we see progression in, in, in David, who is God's choice for a king, a man after God's own heart. 
But as we're going to see in this chapter, and incidentally, as we're going to be reminded of again next week, uh, David is not perfect. Uh, David really struggles, and though he, he points to Christ, he's not the one that our hearts ultimately long for. Our hearts ultimately long for one of perfection, one of righteousness, and we're going to get some hints of that as we walk throughout this story this morning. I think the basic contours of the story uh, are familiar to many of you. Uh, David and his men are in the wilderness. They sort of operate as mercenaries. In this case, they are protecting uh, the holdings of this guy, Nabal, or Nabal, or Nabal, or whatever you want to call him. I'll probably say all three things over the course of this morning. Uh, but um, uh, So they're protecting him. You see the servants say, been like a wall to us. They are, are hoping for, I mean, there's 600 of them. They've got to survive. They're hoping for some sort of gratuity. Um, and probably are rightly deserving of some sort of gratuity for the service that they have offered. Uh, David sends his young men in peace to Nabal. Uh, he deals with him derisively. Who is David? All of this kind of thing. And that just escalates this moment in David's heart where he says, not a single person of Nabal's, not a single young man shall be alive by the time we're finished with him. Strap on, boys, we're ready to go. And he rolls out the troops, and they're on their way. But they're met by Abigail, and we're going to look at that much more closely. She intervenes, and, and David listens to her. Uh, he backs off. Um, Nabal is dealt with by the Lord. Uh, towards the end of the chapter, uh, he, once he hears what's happened, his heart becomes as a stone within him, and eventually, ten days later, he is dead. Uh, the vengeance that David had had in his heart, he had harbored in his heart, was rightly left to the Lord, and the Lord dealt with Nabal according to the hardness of his heart. Uh, and then David, of course, marries Abigail, and that's the story. So what do we learn through this? There, there are so many things, and I'm glad we, we have a few extra minutes, and since we don't have anything after this, we might just stay all afternoon. Uh, but there are so many ways in which this story, we don't read it, it reads us, a and it if you're willing to listen, you know, if you have sort of, as Jesus says, the ears to hear, I, 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 I can guarantee that, that you're going to see yourself in this story in very real and, and very, very poignant ways. It starts, did you notice, chapter 25, verse 1, with the death of Samuel? Samuel's been with us all the way from the beginning. We started with Hannah. Uh, she prayed for the child. The child Samuel uh, was given to her, was given to the Lord. He grew, and he's been serving Israel for a long time. And, and it's interesting that this story has that detail. I'm sure to some degree it's chronological, but I also think uh, just in the way that the Holy Spirit has arranged this for us, it, it, it reminds us that, one, we're all going to die. Uh, Samuel served a long time, and the Lord used him, but, but his time did come to an end. 
it wasn't the end of Israel. Israel had to keep going on. Uh, it wasn't the end of the story. The story keeps going on. But Samuel came to an end. And sometimes we, we feel that. I think some of you are aware that this week, Tuesday, is a memorial service for, for Tim Keller. Uh, and a couple of uh, months ago, you know, we, we lost all of these people. We, we lost uh, Tim, we lost Harry Reeder, uh, we lost Steve Smallman, all in the course of a week. These were folks that if you've been in the PCA or around that, or you, you know those names. And sometimes we wonder, like, when we lose somebody of that stature, how are we going to make it? Uh, like, I confess, I mean, I, I've been greatly blessed, actually, by all three of those guys, but, you know, with, with Keller, just listen to him, just so benefited from his wisdom, and there's just like a moment of panic, like, who's going to help us, you know, think carefully about these secular trends and how the gospel interacts with them and supersedes them? And, and there's a certain sense in which that anxiety is here in this chapter, like, who, who is going to help David? David's the anointed, but we see in this chapter that he's got his issues. Like Samuel has always been that guy for David. You know, Samuel was there. He's the one that anointed him. He's the one that had protected him earlier when Saul was uh, pursuing him. Who is going to be there? Can we trust God in the midst of these momentous uh, epoch changes? You know, when we pass from one giant to the other, is, is there going to be something? somebody there. And one of the things that we see about this passage is, of course there is. <laughs> you know, God, God's arm is not too short. Yes, God uses people like Samuel. God uses people like Keller, Reader, uh, Smallman, or, or any of these folks. Uh, but God can use somebody like Abigail. God can use somebody like the servant in the story who speaks up and, you know, alerts Abigail to the, the, the danger. We are always under God's providential care. This is one of the themes that we've been looking at in this message or in this series is God's providence in working out His plan. And, and so we can have confidence even in a time like this. So that all belongs to the preamble. Uh, let's start with these characters. Let, let's start with Nabal. Let's start with the fool. He, he is as his name says he is. Abigail will say that a little bit later. His name, Nabal, means fool. Not exactly sure how he got that name. Uh, not sure if his parents looked at him and said there's no hope for this guy. Uh, or, you know, it, it's probably more likely one of two things. Either uh, Nabal was sort of this nickname that he got or the name that everybody recognized him by just because he continually was acting the fool in so many ways or that it's a homophone for another Hebrew word that uh, maybe means something else. There's a Hebrew word that sounds a little bit more like noble, which I know kind of comes through in English as well. Uh, but the, the word nabal uh, could be similar to that. Either way, the, the point is made here. Uh, this is who Nabal is, uh, displays in terms of his character. Now, we have to understand that foolishness in the Scriptures is not just simply 
Somebody that does silly things or makes weird choices, you, you think about a fool as a court jester, you know, they, sometimes they would have these. A fool is somebody who, whose heart is hard. A, a fool is somebody who, um, whose hand is raised in defiance. A fool is somebody that won't listen. And we see that here in this passage. I, I would highlight two things about Nabal that, that help us to uh, identify him as a fool. The first is this. He, there's no sense of gratitude in Nabal. He has this firm impression regarding himself uh, that, that he has earned his things. That they are my things. You, you heard how Jerry even put that emphasis in reading verse 10. You know, my sheep, my shearers, my lands, my things that I have acquired. And of course, this is exactly what Jesus uh, refers to in, in Luke chapter 12. Some of you remember the parable of the rich fool. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him that night, you fool. Your, your soul is going to be required of you this, this, very, e this very evening. There, there's something about foolishness that sees uh, ourselves as the center. We see the things that we, uh, that have been given to us as our accomplishments. We see the things that we have received from, you know, every good gift comes down from our Father in heaven, but we see it as ours, that we have earned it. And it's easy, you know, that, that, that's a pretty easy line sometimes to cross. And, and one of the ways that it's really characterized is gratitude. I mean, David is coming to this man and he's saying, Listen, we've, we've been watching over your sheep, your herders. Uh, he could have talked, Nabal could have talked to his young man, and they, they would have said, yeah, they, they've really served us. And, and it, it would have been both just and an act of gratitude on the part of Nabal to share, to give this group that is living out in the wilderness and needs some food, they, they need sustenance, would have been just and generous for him to share out of gratitude. But the heart of a fool is not thankful. Uh, the heart of the fool uh, is self-deserving in his own mind. The second thing that we note about a fool, as I've said, it's this hard heart, it's the hand, uh, the fist clenched and raised, is that he doesn't listen. Uh, and, and that's pretty explicit here in this passage. The servant who goes to Abigail says um, to, says to him uh, very clearly that he's a worthless man. That's that same language that has come up earlier with regards to Hophni and Phinehas. Remember Eli's sons, they were worthless, uh, scoundrelish. Uh, he's a worthless man and one cannot speak to him. Uh, one, he, he just doesn't listen. And we see Abigail recognizes this. She, she deals with discernment with regards to uh, Nabal. She knows that he won't listen. 
She hopes that David is wise and that he will listen. This, of course, is one of the tests that we, or maybe one of the ways that the Scripture reads us. You know, are you a person that listens, uh, that, that hears what other people are saying to you and takes it in? Of course, David's son Solomon will, will take up this theme in the Proverbs. Uh, think of uh, Proverbs 13, verse 1, where um, Solomon says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. We're back in 12. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Or chapter 9, verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Nabal it truly lives up to his name. You know, both in terms of his attitude towards himself and his goods and all that he has and his unwillingness to listen, his unwillingness to take uh, wise and good counsel even from somebody who is beautiful and discerning as Abigail. The second thing I want to observe with this, though, is uh, just the effect that this fool can have on David. So we see that a fool opens a fissure, and he opens a fissure in the heart of David. You know, we, we've said last, you know, last week, chapters 24 and 26, David at his best he, he restrains himself. He says, I, I can't act. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. I am going to trust God. But here, you know, just at the slight from Nabal, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Uh, he, he is ready to not just commit murder, but he is ready to commit genocide. I mean, he's, he's ready to wipe out Every single male that belongs to David's house, he or to Nabal's house, he has received uh, a slight at the degree of one, and he is going to respond with anger, with vengeance at the degree of 100. Uh, his, his response just seems so out of line with the slight that he has received. What's What's going on here? I, I think there are a couple of things that, that we can observe. One thing that is sort of interesting, and I didn't mention this in the first service, uh, so you guys are getting a bonus here. Uh, but um, one thing that is very sort of interesting is the, the way David is deferential to Saul as his Lord, as the anointed one, but Somebody like Nabal, who does not have that position, you know, David is ready to pay out on. Sometimes wisdom is discerned by how we, not necessarily how we treat those that are over us, uh, but how we treat those of a lower station than us. And I think you guys get this. I see a few of you nodding your heads. You know, you've been in corporations. You, you recognize that. You know, you, you really respect those who treat those underneath them. One of the sub-themes of this chapter is just the role of the little people. Uh, you know, it's the servant of Nabal that really saves this kingdom. 
You know, it's the servant who speaks up. And, and how often do we see that in the Scriptures, whether it's Naaman, you know, the little servant girl who was taken into captivity. She's the one that points him to Elisha, and he's able to go and dip himself in the River Jordan. Or whether it's the unnamed nephew of, of Paul in, in Acts who overhears the plot to kill Paul. It, it, there, there's this sub-theme that, that says there, there are no little people. And when we recognize that, we should treat those who are above us and those who are below us, whatever that means, uh, we, we should treat them the same. Uh, there should be an equality with that. But David, you know, doesn't do that. Why? Well, there's something going on with David here uh, that is triggered by um, that is triggered by Nabal. And I use that word intentionally because I would contend that, that David has a wound. Uh, he has a, a family of origin wound uh, that Nabal bumps up against uh, and, and triggers this inordinate reaction. If you remember back in 1 Ch Samuel chapter 13, when uh, Samuel goes to anoint the next king of Israel, he, he's told, go to Jesse's house, have Jesse assemble all of his sons, and there I will tell you who to anoint. And you remember that Samuel comes, he tells Jesse this, get all your sons together. And he starts going down the line, and it's Eliab, and it's Aminadab, and it's Shamar, and the Lord keeps saying, no, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. And finally, he gets to the end of seven sons, and the Lord has said no, and Samuel's like, do you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, well, there's the runt, you know, the little guy. He's out in the fields. I mean, surely you don't mean him. And Samuel says, listen, we're not sitting down until he comes in here. And sure enough, David, is, of course, is the one that is anointed. But you remember, we pointed out at that time that, that David had this, this sense of being overlooked. He, he says in Psalm 25, he says, though my father and my mother have rejected me, uh, I know that you, O oh Lord, will not reject me. We see a very similar situation in uh, 1 Samuel 17. You remember uh, when he comes to the battle line, he's got all the meat and the cheese. This is the Goliath chapter. And uh, his brothers are there. Eliab, his eldest brother, when he hears that David's confidence in terms of going to fight Goliath, uh, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? You know, you see this pattern that, that David is, is disregarded. He's He's slighted, he's forgotten, and when, when Nabal sees this, and David knows that he's the anointed, and David knows that God has promised him the kingdom, and when this man who thinks he's got it all together slights David, David responds, <clears throat> you know, his heart is kindled uh, into action and it's so interesting, you know, and it's so true that we too live in just 
uh, it's a hair's trigger away from having those various reactions triggered in us. Some of you specifically uh, know what it's like to just go to anger. Anger is what we call a fruit sin. It's not a, a root sin. Uh, there are things in our heart that when they get touched, when we feel slighted, when we feel this, boom. You know, our response is conflagration. Our, our response is incendiary. We, we're, we're on fire. You see the same sort of thing uh, in James where, you know, the wisdom book of the, of the New Testament, he talks about the tongue and the way that we can just strip the hide off of somebody whether they're there in person or whether it's on Facebook or some other social media or whether it's in our own hearts. You know, sometimes the, the anger is evident to everybody else, but I know some of you are very angry people and uh, the rest of us don't see it. You know, we, we, don't, we don't see what's going on in your hearts, but, but what this passage wants us to recognize is that we are all just but a step uh, away from it. We can be in the midst of a very good moment, and the next moment we, we are on a precipice uh, that has us hurtling towards destruction uh, unless somebody steps in to, uh, to arrest us, to, arrest, you know, to stop our wild career, as uh, Newton says in one of his poems. So how does that happen for David? It happens in the person of Abigail. Let me pick up the reading in, in verse 23. If you have your Bibles there, you can follow along. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and she got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face, and she bowed to the ground. <clears throat> she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, O Lord, be the guilt. Please, let your servant speak in your ears. Don't be a fool, David. Listen. Uh, and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of the Lord, of my Lord, who you sent. Now, that, now then, my Lord, as the Lord, as Yahweh lives... And as your soul lives, because Yahweh has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Uh, because my Lord is fighting the battles of Yahweh, and the evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you, to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of Yahweh your God. And the lies of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Notice her use of language there. David is known for his work with a sling. And when the Lord has, and when Yahweh has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief, pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. When Yahweh has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. 
It's an amazing speech. It's incredible because consider, like, she doesn't have a lot of time to put this together. You know, a couple times in the text there, she's making haste. You know, making haste, making haste, making haste. Like, she doesn't have time to sit down and take notes. She's got to get together enough food to feed this contingent. She's got to deal with the servants. There's all of this types of thing. One of the things that we note about Abigail in this moment is that, uh, and for ourselves as well, is that wisdom is not something that we can just conjure in a moment of crisis. You know, wisdom is something that is learned and that becomes a part of who we are as we, in times of, of non-crisis, in, in, the, in the still moments of our life, you know, what are you filling your head with? What are you filling your heart with? If you're thinking, as Paul will say, on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, it, it's likely then that when crisis comes... You know, these things will, will bleed out of you. These things will characterize your actions. But if you are harboring anger, if you're harboring bitterness, if you're harboring, you know, greed or anxiety or any of these other things, then when the moment of crisis comes, you're, you're not going to be ready. Uh, and Abigail is ready. She, she's a woman that, that walks with the Lord and even in this moment of intense crisis, she is able uh, to breathe grace. Uh, she's a personification of grace and wisdom. It's interesting in the book of Proverbs, you know, lady wisdom is sort of the, the call all throughout. Some people even get to Proverbs 31, which we'll come back to in just a moment, which is this portrait of a wife of a noble character a wife of noble character, and see Abigail in that. Uh, she, she really personifies wisdom. So what, is, what does wisdom look like? Uh, just three observations for you, three stops here. You know, this is the grace that closes the fissure. One is that it's honest. It's candid. Uh, she, she knows that her husband is a fool. She knows that, you know, the, the hope here is not dealing with Nabal. The hope here is dealing with David. Think about uh, Proverbs again, 26, uh, 4 and 5. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, uh, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 26, 5 says, don't answer uh, a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him yourself. Hmm. So which is it? Do we answer a fool? Do we not answer a fool? The answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> it's both. It depends. It, so, so often in life, and this is the difference between just wisdom and, and knowing stuff, uh, you know, wisdom is... is taking the stuff that you know and applying it to the situations in life. Like we, we know from the scriptures you know, not to be angry. We know, uh, you know not to have any other gods before us. There are certain imperatives, commandments that are throughout the scriptures. But life doesn't always come as a multiple choice test or a fill in the blank. I mean, we, it's so complex and, and we need wisdom. 
uh, Abigail is honest to know that sometimes we need to walk away from people. Sometimes we, we need to recognize that, that that person is biblically a fool and, and to keep throwing your pearls before swine, as it were, uh, is, is not the wise thing to do. But I'm going to have hope that there are people who can hear. Let me speak a word in your ears that you will hear Abigail is honest about the people in her life, and that's an encouragement to us in terms of practicing wisdom. The second thing, uh, not only is Abigail uh, candid or honest, but, but she's also humble. Uh, she's, she's compassionate uh, in the way that she approaches David. Uh, if you go back and read that paragraph again, 14 times, she, I, she calls David her Lord. You know, she approaches him. She gets down off the donkey. She prostrates herself, which had nothing to do with gender, by the way. Uh, David prostrated himself before Saul in the earlier chapter. Uh, she prostrated herself before him, and she calls him my Lord. Uh, she approaches him humbly. Uh, a soft answer, you guys remember this from Proverbs? A, a soft answer turns away wrath. You know, what is she going to do? It, it took a lot of courage for her. I mean, she, she is very courageous because these guys were locked and loaded. They were ready to roll. They were ready to exact their pound of flesh uh, from Nabal and his family. But she humbly came to David and said, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a way that will preserve righteousness. That will, there's a way that will, you know, keep your conscience clear. There, there's a better way. And I wonder about that. You know, we, we live in a world where people are locked and loaded. We live in a world where people are both literally and figuratively, where, where people are, are ready to engage, how are you approaching them? How are you engaging them? Are you, are you getting down off your donkey? Are you willing to prostrate yourself? Are you willing to uh, come to them humbly? Or are you responding in kind? You know, if, if she or if Nabal had, had responded to David in kind, there surely would have been a war. You know, there surely would have been bloodshed and people would have, been, would have died. But because she responded humbly, and this happens in our homes, right? You know, husbands, wives, you know, siblings. How, how are we responding to them? It happens in our churches. You know, when we're angry, it happens in our denominations. It happens in our politics. You know, usually the answer is, if this person is yelling at me, I just need to yell louder. But that's not the way of, of wisdom. Uh, the way of wisdom is, is humble and contrite. Uh, the third thing that we notice about Abigail is that she's very hopeful. Uh, it's so interesting. Look at verse 26. She says, now then, as my, thou, now then, my Lord, as the Lord, when it's capital letter like that, o, capital O-R-D, uh, it's Yahweh, as Yahweh lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, 
and from saving with your own hand. Now let those enemies who seek to do evil to my Lord as Nobel, as Nobel uh, let them uh, be done away with. She, she speaks like it's already happened. She says, the Lord has restrained you. Well, there, there was no such thing happening at this point. You know, she was just going to David. David was still on the war path, but she really believes in the power of God at this point to work in the heart of David. Uh, she, she has hope. Do you have hope like that for the fools in your life? Uh, for those who are on the, the, the path of folly? It, it might be your kids. Uh, you know, we see them about to make a mistake. Do, do we have the belief that the Lord has the ability to restrain their hearts? You know, can we speak into that confidently? If we respond with anxiety and all of these different things, that, that might turn us in a different direction. But if we can tap into a confidence in the Lord... Uh, that's a very different thing. But she just believes that God is watching over, and she believes that David's house is going to be a sure house, that David's house is going to be filled with righteousness and justice. And she says, David, if you do this thing, you're, you're going to be cutting off your own nose to spite your face. Like, this is not the path that you want to go on. Trust the Lord. He has put you in a bundle uh, as a bundle, in the bundle of the living. It's just a beautiful passage, but she testifies to the grace of God. She's very hopeful uh, about the, the present working of God in this situation. Do we have that kind of wisdom? This is how Abigail really changes this story because David listens to her. You know, that's, that's what's so beautiful. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. David was on a path of folly, but ultimately he's not a fool because he listens to the one who came to point it out to him in love. And, and this is part of the reason why we have like, this confession in our service every week. Like, why do we do that? Because we know that folly is bound up in our hearts. And, and over the past week, the past days, we, we've dealt with that. And God comes and he says, you know, be undone. Throw yourself on me. Do we listen? Do we repent? Do we offer that to the Lord? Bless be you who saves us from blood guilt, or do we clench our fist and say, you can't tell me anything, uh, and just go forward in our own confidence. There's one other thing, though, I want to point out in this passage. I, I referenced Proverbs 31 uh, a little bit earlier. You, are you familiar with Proverbs 31? That's the, the wife of noble character and and, and then goes on to display like superwoman, uh, this woman who is up early, she's buying fields, she's uh, spinning clothes, she's not just spinning enough for her family, she's spinning enough for everybody else, she's like feeding the community, clothing the community, and we read this thing and we're like, who in the world can be like that woman? 
You know, who, who has got a chance, whether you are a dude or a gal, like, I cannot live up to the ideal that is personified here. So, how do we understand Proverbs 31? I was helped uh, by um, this line of thought, that Proverbs 31 is not simply a word for the women. You know, sometimes we can read through Proverbs and say, you know, so much of this is written to young men. Finally, chapter 31, we have a word for the ladies. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. You know, the whole book is for everybody, regardless of, of your gender. But if you remember, there's this theme throughout Proverbs, and it's like, wisdom is this beautiful woman. And, and the father is saying to his son, get wisdom. Get her. Though she costs you all that you have, acquire wisdom. And then, as a bookend to the book, we, we see this beautiful portrait of, of Lady Wisdom that sort of is personified and come to life. But if you look really carefully in there, there's a lot of things that aren't normal in the life of, uh, of a Jewish woman or family. I mean, there's like purple woven into the garments, which is royalty or deity even. Uh, there, there's, there's a number of things that say, this might be beyond the pale of humanity. And I think what Proverbs 31 is pointing us to, and I think what this passage here in 1 Samuel 25 is pointing us to, it's that as we're longing for a king, we're never going to be met by a human person. As we're longing for the wife of noble character, we're never going to be met by a human woman. It's teaching us to look beyond. You know, Abigail comes to David gently and riding on a donkey. Gently, uh, uh, Abigail comes to David bringing gifts with her in order to strengthen and nourish David's men along the way. A Abigail comes to David with the intent to see justice and righteousness flourish in David's house. Abigail is the personification of Lady Wisdom on, on a human standpoint. But Abigail also comes to David and says to him, verse 24, let the guilt fall on me, my life for yours. Abigail isn't the end of the story because Abigail is pointing us to Jesus. She's pointing us to the wisdom who was there at the very creation of the world. She's pointing us to the one that Proverbs 31 is all about. Proverbs 31 isn't merely about a woman. Proverbs 31 is about Jesus. It's about the Christ, the one who we should long as men or women to be married to. And it's interesting, you know, here Abigail comes as this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is David's response to her? He both listens to her and he says, I got to have her as my wife. And he marries her. And that's the question before all of us today.
You know, we, we all are on this journey. We find ourselves in the wilderness. We all have this longing. There is a bride, and she's beautiful. There is a bride. She's gentle, and she's humble. There is a bride. She's courageous, and she will intervene her life for yours. In fact, Jesus went all the way and gave his life for yours. Have you married him? Have you embraced him? Uh, though it cost you everything as the pearl of great price, you know, this one who is worth all that we have. And as we look at David and Nabal, Nabal's story was over. You know, he, he hardened his heart to the very end, and the Lord struck him dead. David was on a path of folly. He was a step away from following Nabal's path, but he listened. He listened. He opened his heart, and he allowed the love of this beautiful woman, woman to capture his heart and to turn him another direction, to preserve a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom that would bear fruit in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all on a path. You know, the fool sees danger coming, runs towards it. The wise person sees danger coming and seeks refuge. Find your refuge in the Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for this story. We thank you for how it comes to us. We thank you for it's, it's beauty, uh, the, the way that it draws our heart uh, towards you and the way that it invites us uh, to seek after you as uh, the pearl of great price. You know, though it cost us everything, acquire it. Uh, go after it. May we, may we not be fools. We, we know that folly is bound up in our hearts from a very young age. And we know that we are only a step away. We know that we are damaged goods. We have our wounds. We get triggered. But Lord, may it be so that we find ourselves uh, captured by the Abigails in our life and captured uh, by ultimately the greater Abigail, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.